0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get them off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows it's don't get treated like a hoe.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another special episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have the great Matt Market Zero Donny Kibby in the building, host of Kibby for Liberty on Blaze TV. Welcome aboard, sir. I didn't expect a Big Lebowski reference right out of the gate. <laughs> I know you're a fan, so I just wanted to, you know, hit you hit yeah. you with some fun first. No, I, I'm. Uh, I, I find that
2: most of the things that you need to know in life either come from Austrian economists or the Big Lebowski, and. <laughs> and if you can combine those two into a seamless whole you understand the
1: universe in in its essence. Wow, that's beautiful. What give give me uh give me some of the the not, you know, nuggets of wisdom from the Big Lebowski that you noticed.
2: Well, it's it it's all about it's all about the process, right? Like the the dude is unflappable and he goes through life without presuming that he knows too much about the world and and to me it's it's the essence of of the arrogance of any central planner, um, mm. let's 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 mention Fauci since he's the central planner of the moment. But indeed, people that think they know too much about about sort of redesigning the entire world, the dude just rolls. And sometimes there's gutters, and sometimes there's strikes. And and to me, that's the perfect metaphor for the world we live in. You 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 bust your ass. You focus. You you think you have plans, but the real test in life is when your plan doesn't work out. Mm. And you have to adapt, right? And that's that's something that 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 you learn as you get older. That um, it's not it's not really what you accomplish so much as how you bounce back when you fail. And if you're not failing, you're probably never going to accomplish anything anyway.
1: Yeah, or you're not you're not trying to accomplish anything that's uh, you know of significance if you don't fail ever. I I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, speaking of, I uh you know I was a mortgage broker for fifteen years and saved and invested and. I, uh, I just had a two-year waiting list to get a brand new uh, Z07 or whatever it is, Corvette. So I've been on a two-year waiting list. It arrived this morning. I'm thrilled out of my mind. I post about it on Twitter. And what do you what do you guess? I get a bunch of people hating on me for it. Um, and it's <laughs> just, you know, even from the Libertarian community, especially if you know me, if you've listened to my show, you know, you know, I am I worked hard for this. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like a, a, I hit a lotto ticket or I'm a trust fund kid or something like that. But you know, even in Liberty community, they're like, they're like, look at this fucking guy. You know, <laughs> people yeah. get
2: pissed. It's it's sad. It's you know, it's probably it's I'm sure the last two years have have really sort of sped up this process where we're we're now crippled by envy and we world about worry about what the other guy has. Mm-hmm. And you and you see that in, in authoritarian cultures, and it very much dehumanizes people because I'm old enough to remember when you worked hard and you achieved something and you went out and bought a cool car. And by the way, I saw these pictures this morning. Oh, um, thanks. That's <laughs> it's a, pretty,
1: it's pretty cool. That's right?
2: something to celebrate, right? Like, yeah. Hey, I, I, I accomplished something and this is how I chose to celebrate that. Um, you know, maybe you're not into cars, but, but that's cool. And yeah, but if you
1: resent me for it, like go fuck yourself. <laughs> My sentiment. Exactly. Thank you, Matt. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's what, what disturbs me about it is, you know, and maybe this is just kind of my, my makeup, but when I was young and poor, which was most of my youth, um, you know, whenever I saw someone that was succeeding, I looked at them as inspiration and I looked at them as kind of a role model, or I would always ask them, what do you do for a living? And, and how are you, you know, how are you achieving this? Um, and I think that's why I'm where I'm at. You know, I think it's a really, it's a really unhealthy way to look at, this situation and go oh this guy has something i don't therefore fuck him you know like that's that's just not you'll you'll never achieve the things that are really um you know outlandish and outrageous if you just constantly are upset with people who have any any modicum of success and and also it's not a lamborghini i mean it's a corvette it's an american made car like i'm not i'm not a multimillionaire come on
2: i assume you wear your mask in the corvette right
1: of course you know
2: yeah i mean <laughs>
1: Well,
0: th- but it's like, is-
2: like the the uh, you know the, the this this gets into the kind of the safetyism of the world we're living in right now. Um, apparently, part of this philosophy of of one hundred percent guaranteed protection, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. You're never going to get sick. Um, it's it's the worst possible way to to raise people because. Um, life can absolutely be a grind, but it's that process of trying to make something of yourself, of being uncomfortable, of, of being afraid that you're going to fail and, and maybe even failing, like that's where, um, satisfaction comes in life mm-hmm. and no one's going to give it to you. So when I hear AOC complaining about, um, economic dignity, um, I, I worry that, um, a lot of uh, people in her generation, actually don't know how to achieve dig- dignity. They're waiting for mm. a politician to give it to them. They're waiting for like legislation or they're worried about what other, someone else thinks about them. That's not where dignity comes from. It it comes from, from that uncomfortable process of testing yourself and judging yourself and maybe, maybe doing something that you're really damn proud of.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of expect this type of behavior from people that aren't in the libertarian community. Cause you know, you you go to Ivy League school or something. You come out. You're you're taught resentment, and you're taught that government redistribution is the way, and that wealth is terrible and and evil and all that. You know, all the all the evils of capitalism. Uh, for it to come from the libertarian community at all is is what disturbs me more because those these are my people. These are the people that I I thought saw the world the same way I did, and and uh, I wish that I don't know. I just wish that it was a, a little bit more like cheering me on because i i posted i posted it in a shitty way but i did it intentionally because i said get on my fucking level that's how i end the tweet but yeah but yeah. what i'm trying to do is encourage people like i i know it sounds like i'm being a dickhead but i i really i want people to feel encouraged i like because that's how i react when i see someone who's who's achieving um but anyways i, I wanted to i wanted to ask you about the i i have a uh kind of a, a macro level economic thesis that i've been working on i, I was lucky enough to run it past scott horton at, uh, at Tom Woods 2000 and he said he thought it was very plausible and I know with your Austrian economics background, you could probably confirm or deny uh, my premise. So here it is. Um, my belief is that, that China is probably um, the greatest house of cards economically in the world. Um, so that's, that's the starting place. Um, so I believe that they are more likely to collapse before we will, despite the fact that we are you know, spending in a profligate manner and we're behaving like idiots are, ourselves. Um, so my thesis is that China sees its, uh, cascading debt collapse, uh, prior to us, which on a relative term strengthens us dollar, us dollar then becomes in a deflationary death spiral that we can't afford our debt. And then we have to hyperinflate our way out of it. So my thesis is we have basically a bust before we have the final death of the us dollar. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think, um, I think China is a lot weaker than a lot of people believe and and it is very much a house of cards and and what what she has done to Hong Kong. Hong Kong used to be that magical engine mm-hmm. that sort of propped up the rest of the Chinese economy. but but you have uh, brains and and capital fleeing Hong Kong. It's not the same place it used to be. You'd have to be crazy. To go to go there right now as a capitalist because you know eventually you're going to end up on on the uh in in the killing fields or, or whatever the right metaphor is sure um but you know they they have been buying a lot of our debt and you know basic economics says there's only three ways to spend money you don't have you can raise taxes you can borrow which is what we've been doing from China. Or you can expand the money supply, and that's that's basically how we financed most of this six trillion in funny money that we've helicoptered over our economy. Mm-hmm. The difference between us and them, and and why we will always um, at least feel like we're doing better than we are is that we are incredibly wealthy, and not not just in dollars and cents, but the but the assets that we have built as a nation because of capitalism over the last 200 years protects us from, from um, becoming Venezuela or becoming Greece. Um, but you know, it's inevitable. And, and the, the, the key to the Austrian business cycle theory is the disconnect between um, expectations that are, that are sort of distorted by all of this funny money that, that we're floating through the economy right now and the reality and that the, the adjustment's going to be horrific. And the biggest problem with the adjustment is not the pain. It's that politics won't let us fix the problem. So they, they keep propping it up and that's where hyperinflation comes from. They, no one's, no one's going to step up and say, guys, we did this all wrong. We're going to stop doing it. They're, they're going to keep trying to paper over the problem mm-hmm. um, all the while blaming somebody else. I mean, I, I guess we'll blame Jeff Bezos. I don't know. We'll, we'll find some. Uh, we could blame China. We could blame Jeff Bezos, but we'll we'll find somebody to demonize instead of the government taking responsibility for, for completely corrupting the currency.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, we don't have uh, a Paul Volcker in the wings that's, you know, prepared to hike uh, overnight interest rates to 20 plus percent. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So I think that ultimately uh, the dollar does see, you know, I mean, we're already seeing the ramifications of this. You can't you can't limit supply via lockdowns uh, or limit production, rather, uh, which puts a crimp on supply, and then print six trillion dollars, as you said, or borrow it or whatever it was, and uh, and not expect there to be inflation. I just think that it, we're we're really playing with fire um, in that we have now indoctrinated such a huge percentage of the the young population in America to believe in Marxism and to believe in uh, you know big government and redistribution of wealth. I you know if I was a conspiracy theorist, which I kind of am, um, I would say perhaps this is intentional you know you get to a point where you just say like okay they're gonna they're gonna create while while they're advertising that they're going to be working to remedy income inequality they have created the most severe income inequality in the history of our nation and that usually portends um, you know some sort of uprising from the people because if you have inflation and you have enormous, Income inequality, you're going to have justifiable anger from the lower economic classes. Um, How do you see that playing out?
2: Yeah, like so we've we've essentially, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of small C conspiracies in the sense that Adam Smith talked about Mm. the natural tendency of of business people to conspire, and it it just goes back to basic self interest. And so, for instance, if you're if you're a pharmaceutical company and you could convince the government. To buy up all your product and then mandate that everybody consume it. I mean, that's a good business model. pretty it may good. Be grossly unethical and and bad for everybody all around, but it's a good business model and we're seeing that and that that to me is is com- conspiring against the public, but but almost everything the government does is is like that. So that you know the question is um, are are government interests exploiting the pandemic to, to grow their power. Well, of course they are. That's what they do. And they, they do it every day. They just, I think they stumbled across an opportunity to scare the living shit out of everybody Mm -hmm. and then say, Oh, we'll fix this by, by giving you these, these massive benefits, what, which basically amount to universal basic income at this point. Indeed. And it's why we can't, it's, it's why we can't uh, rehire people to to work anymore. Um, And, and whether or not they let that expire is one question. But, but you're already seeing a lot of people that prefer socialist solutions to things saying the pandemics, they, they actually slip and say, this is the best thing that's ever happened because mm-hmm. we have the opportunity now to do things that we couldn't have possibly done before. And UBI is just the, the tip of the iceberg. They're, they're talking about, you know, even take like the, the example I just gave. Um, we've essentially socialized um, the the purchase and distribution of a vaccine, and and now you know Biden came in and to perhaps to screw over DeSantis in Florida, said you know what I'm I'm going to take over the distribution of monoclonal antibodies, mm-hmm. and and it all gets to everything we warned about with socialist medicine. It's it's. It's rationing and, and the political redistribution of of who gets what yeah. um, that and death panels. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much a death panel, right? Like you're not worthy because you live in a red state. Is that like and, and that sounds ridiculous. But, you know, I live in the in the in the District of Columbia. And when they finally got their act together on vaccines here, which took longer than most places because the D.C. is an is a incredible shit show, um, they actually put a social justice filter over it. I happen to live in a wealthier um, district. And so just by the fact of living in this neighborhood, and it's bigger than a neighborhood, a, it's a pretty big block of the district, um, they put me at the end of the line. So if I would wanted a vaccine, I was deemed, and it wasn't even based on my income, it was based on like my neighbor's income. I was too wealthy to get this medicine. So imagine if I was desperate to get it, which I wasn't, um, think, think about that applied to everything that you will need in healthcare for the rest of your life. Right. so maybe you, and this goes back to death panels right maybe you're a little too old to get that cancer treatment it doesn't make sense for for the global budget um, we've established this precedent now with the with the nationalization of, of vaccine purchasing happily they haven't nationalized production yet because you wouldn't want to go anywhere near those vaccines but uh, it's 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 hard to like government never unwraps these things once once they've created this precedent and and so I'm worried about uh, I'm worried about healthcare I'm worried about the fact that that people um, think that the government will actually pay for them not to work in a way that we've never seen before I'm worried about the total destruction of the currency um, th- these are all things that we're going to have to figure out how to unwind if we want to keep this country at least somewhat free right
1: yeah no i totally agree just to clarify what was it based off of like your zip code was it just too wealthy of a zip code or was it actually your neighbors? it's
2: um it's wards like the district is is divided okay. into wards which uh determines city council and i, I live right uh two blocks uh behind the capital hmm. and 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 we bought here when it was when it was a very affordable neighborhood but but since we've been here the last 15 years it's 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 surely one of the Uh, not the most expensive neighborhoods, but it's definitely, definitely up there. And, and, and one of the, like the, you know, they call it gentrification, but surely there are people that were living here um, maybe in their sixties and seventies now that, that now happen to live in the wrong neighborhood based on social justice criteria. It, it's so simplistic and, and pure evil, but this, this, this will be the new thing. Like social justice is going to determine whether or not, you get to provide the healthcare you need for your kids. And that, that's,
1: uh, it's more than evil. It's, it's, I don't know what it is. It's It's—it's it's it's astonishing. It's stunning. I I'm, I'm absolutely floored that this is happening in my lifetime. I, I always assumed that if I were to see really, you know, overt tyranny and, and potentially even totalitarianism, it would come when I was old and gray, not in my thirties, like I am now. And, and, uh, I just, I'm stunned by it. I, I really am. Um, did you, did you, were you caught off guard by the lockdowns and, and the fact that people accept them or, or did you kind of, I, I'm just curious. Cause I, every, every time I talk to people, like sometimes people go, nah, I knew, I knew the American people were a bunch of cucks. Like they would, they would accept this shit. I, I really didn't think we would, you know?
2: Yeah. I, I, I was completely caught off guard. Um, and, and I expected, I've always argued that that Americans have a genetic predisposition towards liberty um, even though they get lost along the way sometimes. And I, mm-hmm. by the way, I still think that's true. I, I'm, I'm going to insist on being optimistic about this. Thank you. And I remember early on, like I wrote my first anti-lockdown piece um, around March 10th or something like that, just when things were going down, because there was a hashtag back then that's, uh, that was stay the fuck home. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and that that's what inspired this first piece, because I was thinking to myself, do people that are hashtagging that have any conceivable idea what would happen to them and their neighbors and the most vulnerable people in society if everybody stayed the fuck home? Um, you, you people would start dying in a couple of weeks, and <laughs> right. depending depending on whether or not you're a prepper, right? Because because yeah. you would shut down the entire um, uh, distribution, the supply chain, and and like. There's there's this great essay by Frederick Bastiat in Economic Sophisms where he talks about the, the wonder of Paris being fed and how everybody sort of sleeps mm-hmm. naively, just assuming that when they get up, um, there's, there's, there's going to be everything they need at their fingertips. And they have no idea how that happened. They don't care, but they're peaceful and they're happy because when they get up, um, all those people that they don't know somehow brought the entire distribution process and the production process and, and, and brought it to their door. So it's so infinitely complex, that distribution process, if you start messing with it and certain people start staying, staying home, the only thing I'm surprised by, I, I thought that they would do far more damage and I did not anticipate... This ridiculous loophole of of deeming some people essential and and you know the pajama class as as Bridget <laughs> Fetty calls it, like they all stayed home, waiting for people to bring them stuff, and so right. it was it was it was kind of a fake
1: lockdown in that sense. Yeah, I actually I made a thread about this and I was trying to estimate what percentage of the workforce actually stopped producing, and I concluded it was about ten percent. Um, globally, which is yeah. enormous. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it. I was taking a bunch of disparate figures and putting things together, and it's a very rough estimate. But when you consider the fact that it was supposed to be a lockdown, it it wasn't. I mean, we we obviously kept much of the production online, but even even limiting our production by ten percent was catastrophic. And and the only reason that we uh, have survived up until this point is because we had ninety percent that were working, and you and you still had. Um, you know, deliveries coming and people at restaurants cooking. And um, now we're, we're at this breaking point where like the economy is, quote unquote, turning back on uh, a little bit. Um, but you don't have enough employees, it seems to me, to yeah. to go out and deliver these goods to take them in from the port, things like that. You have fucking the idiot Biden coming in and saying, oh, well, we're going to mandate that the port stay open 24 hours a day. It's like, bitch, we don't have enough employees. It doesn't matter if it's open 24 hours a day.
0: Hey, Liberty Lockdown listeners, this is Isaac Morehouse, the CEO of Crash.co. You love freedom. I love freedom. You want more career opportunity. I want to help you get it. I want to help you live more free by seizing opportunities, whether you're actively job hunting or you're just looking to expand your future potential. Go to crash.co, sign up for free, completely free. You get the daily job hunt, which has over 50,000 subscribers now in your inbox every morning, plus a bunch of free member perks and benefits. Check it out. Crash.co. Thanks for listening.
1: Um, but it seems to me that we're, we are on the cusp of really catastrophic supply chain breakdowns. And, and we're already seeing, you know, the telltale signs of that with, with limited supplies of things. Um, do you think that that we are, you know, is this is this going to get better, or are we on the verge of seeing something very very dire? Well, it's
2: it it gets back to this dilemma. Um, uh, the market could fix itself quite quickly if it was allowed to do so. Sure, and that that would certainly involve uh, pretty pretty dramatic increases in prices for more scarce goods in the short run. Right, um, but politicians starting with Joe Biden will be loath to actually let the market correct and repair itself. Um, because you know, you could bid workers back into the marketplace. You could, um, find alternatives for whatever it is that, that we're struggling to to produce or acquire right now. You, you could lift a lot of these, um, international trade barriers that were supposedly COVID based. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, that that transition would be short and maybe painful, but we could get back to it. But politics is going to continue to fix the problem as, as Biden did by like saying, I'm going to mandate that the, that the ports in LA stay open. Like, do you have any idea? You, you, you don't know anything about anything <laughs> and you, somehow you think this is a solution. Have you ever worked on a dock? In LA, do you know what comes in and out? Do you have any idea? Does anyone on your entire team have any real life experience in this? And of course the answer is no. Right. And that that gets at uh, the, you know, this is sort of a, a series of central planning microaggressions, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're, they're, not, they're not gonna command the entire economy, but they're gonna just cut us uh, again and again and again. So yeah, like I think, I mean, I this is another thing I was surprised by. And I had Thomas Massey on my show pretty early on. And he was predicting for very reasonable um, economic reasons that we were going to have a crisis in the production and distribution of of meat, beef, and poultry. And we're now seeing some of that. Um, It took a lot longer than I thought it would. And I I think this gets back to the point like um, the cool thing about living in the United States is that we are so damn wealthy in terms Mm -hmm. of assets that it, it actually is harder to break the United States than it would be to break Venezuela.
1: Of course, yeah. Well, and I mean, to me, the, the biggest shortage we have right now is actually labor. Um, and and what's, what's mind-bendingly crazy about all of this is that it appears that they're trying to criminalize people working unless they're willing to inject something in their body against their will. Um, I, I'm very grateful and hopeful because we've seen so many unions when it comes to well i guess it's not at the union level because that would be illegal but um it seems as if it's kind of some back dealing where you have airlines and and firefighters and police that are all kind of banding together and walking off the job um i mean do you do you think that that's that's enough to uh, stem the tide of this of this uh, vaccine passport or or is it are they going to proceed and start to arrest people? Like, uh, I really have no idea what the, the game plan is here.
2: So, so uh, a different show um, that I just did with Thomas Massey, he pointed out, and this is true today, they still have not issued those regulations from the Biden administration mandating vaccine passports. And, and Massey's interpretation, maybe a month or two ago, it was, was that um, they're never going to do it. They're just trying to bully corporations into being the bad guys for them. Mm-hmm. And you see and it it does put um, you know I don't I don't have a lot of faith in corporate America to to do the right thing but it does put them in an impossible situation and you 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 had the CEO of Southwest saying I didn't want to do this this is this is something that that Biden basically made me do. Yep. And I get th- I get their liability issues and I get um, the fact that almost all major corporations have have so many government contracts and it's part of their business model. So they're, they're being sort of badgered into this, but I, this is, this is where my optimism comes from. And it, it's not just the, the Southwest strike. Um, and it's not just in and out burger, best burgers ever, by the way. Um, Facts.
1: Uh, I, lo- I left Walter, California, but I'll never leave in and out.
2: And, and, and Walter Sobchak would, would stand with me on this, um, as would Donnie, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, like, I, I think there absolutely is a counter revolution brewing mm-hmm. and I've been like, probably because we're so damn comfortable in this country, it's been late to come to the United States. I thought we would lead on this, but I'm seeing it, um, all over the world now. And of course you don't see it in mainstream media, but, but you can, see, you can watch the videos of like the, the square, the, the plaza in, in Milan. Um, mm-hmm. Is just filled with thousands and thousands of people. Um, same it's place, incredible. all over the country. Um, that's happening here. Of course, uh, people don't cover it, but I think it's it's a it's a new coalition of of people with libertarianish instincts, mm. and and you know they they didn't read any of the books that we read. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's, it's civil libertarians from the left who are like guys like Glenn Greenwald, who are just horrified at what, what his side has turned into and, and independence and people that just want to have the freedom to go back to work. Um, I, I think that's the revolution and, and I'm, I'm all there for it. And too. And I, you know, my days of grassroots organizing are over, but uh, I, I think that's what it takes. Like politicians respond to incentives and they will keep doing this stuff to us until they feel the need to back off. Mm -hmm. And, and how you do it is essential. I think January 6th is exactly the wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but peace, mostly peaceful protest. I get (laughs) that. If you're getting shot with rubber bullets, it's hard to keep your cool, but Right. It's got to be peaceful because we're, what we're trying to do is galvanize the rest of the public to realize just how unjust it is that some people are hanging out in the comfort of their homes in in their pajamas. They probably work for the government and they're fine. They haven't worried one day this entire year and a half while the rest of us are like wondering, am I going to have a job? Am I allowed to go to my job? Because I already had COVID. So I have natural immunity. And I'm not right. going to get vaccinated because getting vaccinated on top of that might actually be um, bad. a bad thing to do. Right. Um, this is a reasonable position to have. So I think I, I think all of that brews in a way that 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 we, we should be hopeful and we should encourage that and we should support it any way we can.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, preach. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled to see it finally. I mean, I, I I expected us to get far more significant protests when it was just the lockdowns. We got almost none. Um, and it was kind of supplanted by the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all that stuff. But um, fortunately or unfortunately, I feel like the government has taken it a little too far. You know, they're, they're trying to now, you know, basically get rid of medical privacy and bodily autonomy. And I think that people are finally realizing, like, look, if we don't stand up now, it's kind of game over here. And, and that's why I've been, you know, I was, I was a crazy person about lockdowns, but when it comes to the mandates, I am like a, a revolutionary, you know, like yeah, I've, yeah. I've gotten completely unhinged about it. Um, so I, I mean, that, to ask- that, that fight, that fight is everything. Yeah.
2: And it, and it has to be like, and I, I'll um, do respect to my libertarian friends that, that have a different view. I don't, I don't see how mandating that someone inject you with something is in any conceivable planet, a libertarian position. I just, I can't, I can't even, I can't even sympathetically see where they're coming from.
1: I know it's, it's very frustrating. I mean, and there's still some that will defend the, the quote unquote private businesses that are, that are mandating it. But it's like, if you have the president of the United States, the alleged most powerful man in the world, saying that he's going to find these, these businesses unless they do this, how can you possibly say they're doing it of their own volition? You, I mean, you can't say that. You can't know it for a fact. So in that situation i'm going to err on the side of fuck all of this and fuck fuck anybody that, that supports it and uh i know that's kind of crass but that's how i feel about it so sorry
2: <laughs> yeah and I, you know some, my, some of my friends say you know because we i spent a lot of time criticizing fauci and and the way that that he is de facto dictating all of these all of these mandates and behaviors that he expects Private business and people to comply with, mm-hmm. and you know there's some fundamental problems in in the American economy. If you decide as a businessman to ignore the CDC and ignore the head of the NIAID at NIH, um, surely that creates liability issues if someone does get sick, and someone mm-hmm. will get sick. This is this is the reality of this virus. Like people are going to get sick, of course, and and it's a really bad. Virus and, and you have two choices. You can mitigate or you can hide. And, and Fauci's in the hide camp, which is a fundamentally medieval, silly position for any real scientist to take. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a reality that whether or not Fauci has legislative power, which he doesn't, he has the authority to bully um, everybody into submission unless we push back.
1: Right. And I love that you called it the medieval policy, because the truth is they couldn't have even implemented this if it weren't for the uh, innovations of modernity. You know, like if if they didn't have uh, Zoom, (laughs) like the the entire the entire system would have collapsed if we didn't have the Internet and all these other things. Um, And, you know, they simultaneously. Uh, are acting like cavemen when it comes to trying to avoid this thing, but they're only capable of doing it because of the advent of, of these new technologies. It's, it's, I am, I am personally in the camp that the world economic forum and the build back better, um, you know, all of, all of the politicians globally saying this shit not to mention the fact that there was very clear evidence that we have some funding that I can't talk about um, from Fauci to other places that may have may or may not have helped bring this about. Um, I get I get into the, the territory of uh, you know Alex Jones and I start asking myself like is this actually a plan you know is this because to build back better you have to build back from something it it seems to make sense uh, where do you fall on that have you given it much consideration
2: so I I just uh, I just uh, uh, wrote a paper other uh, years ago I aspired to be many many years ago I aspired to be in academic teaching economics. And I, I wrote my first academic paper in about 30 years. Um, and, and it was about um, Hayek's critique of scientism. And, and he wrote a book called The Counter-Revolution mm-hmm. of Science, where he takes the bark off of this, this old French aristocrat who is credited with coming up with the concept of socialism, Henri de Saint-Simon. Mm-hmm. And um, Saint-Simon had this, this really nutty idea that you could replace the the chaos of markets with um, a council, an infinitely powerful council of super smart people. And he wanted to seat it with scientists. It was going to be, <laughs> he actually called it the Council of Newton. Oh, and it Jesus. was a, and it was a quasi-religious thing. This is the, this is the Godfather of, of of socialism, right? And and it was it was that arrogance, of of thinking that and this by the way late te- late 1700s and he was assuming that scientists already knew everything of course as if scientists could ever know everything
1: they always assume that I think
2: <laughs> and so like there's there's this mindset particularly in the hard sciences and and by the way particularly amongst epidemiologists they they skew super far left and I think it's because they think that they're smart enough to sort of reorganize life itself and fauci himself and I, I wish I could give you the citation for the article I'll, I'll send it to you so you can yeah, publish please. it but but last fall, and by the way Jeffrey Tucker at uh, Brownstone found this last fall fauci and one of his colleagues at NIH wrote this article that goes way beyond the grant the great reset it's 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 a it's it's like a either a wet dream or your worst nightmare depending on whether or not you're a psycho You're a psychotic epidemiologist. That's that's actually afraid of human contact in general. Right. And so he has this grand plan to redesign society. Um, he doesn't want us to gather anymore. He doesn't want us to travel because traveling is what spreads viruses. He wants to reorganize society in every single way. And I, when I read that, I'm like, that sounds exactly like that nutty guy that Hayek was picking on all those years ago. So I think. I think it's a natural predilection, right? They, they're, they're naturally fearful. Epidemiologists are, are huge germophobes. And, and they also have this arrogant idea that they could, in fact, um, eliminate viruses if they just got the science exactly right. And, and now that we're in it, and now that they know that our tell is our fear of this unknown virus, um, they're actual, absolutely wanting to run the table with it I don't, again, this is a small C conspiracy. It's not a grand conspiracy because I think it's their natural proclivity of smart people to think they know better than the rest of us. And, and once you give them power, that arrogance and that power is what Hayek called the fatal conceit.
1: Yes. Yeah. Man, that is, that's great analysis and extraordinarily dark, uh, but, but yeah. I think you're right. I think you are right. Um, so I wanted to kind of get out of current topics for a minute and, and ask you about, your experience with the tea party and what the fuck went wrong
2: yeah yeah um it what went wrong in a nutshell was a grassroots movement that was based on values and ideas got obsessed with politics Hmm. and and let's say from from I, i i would i would mark the start of the tea party 2008 and some people would go back and look at the Ron Paul movement before that, which was a key part of it as well. Sure. And and it was uh, it was uh, uprising, uh, similar in some ways to Occupy Wall Street against mm-hmm. the Wall Street bailout. Just just grassroots people, um, independents, not Republicans, not Democrats, saying what what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. This 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 violates all my values, so I'm going to take to the streets. And in circa 2009, 2010 at the height of the power of the tea party, you could, you could go to any rally. And I went to hundreds, maybe thousands of them at the time. And they would all tell you the same thing. Um, they'd say, I've never done this before. Um, they could probably quote back to you, George W. Bush saying, I abandoned the free market to save it. Mm. Um, and then they would, then they would explain their values in a, in a shockingly similar way, uh, individual Liberty, fiscal responsibility, and constitutionally limited government. Right. And they would all say the same thing. And the problem is it became a massive social movement. It became really important. It was changing culture. It was changing political opinion. And, and come 2010, it started impacting elections, even as the GOP mostly ignored it. But at some point, all of those political opportunists jumped up on the stage, and at some point those values were, were replaced with, we got to win the next election. And I think that's, that's where it fell apart. Um, but in fairness to, to Tea Party activists, one of the, one of the things that, that happened, like they became powerful and they started lobbying their government. They were doing town hall meetings. They were coming to Washington DC for these big protests and they were understanding the system of democracy to be that you had the right to, to peacefully petition your government for a redress of grievances. Right. Mm-hmm. And every step of the way, um, actually the Republicans probably screwed them more than the Democrats did, mm-hmm. but every step of the way they were lied to, they were demonized. Um, uh, people forget this, but organizing for Obama actually called them domestic terrorists. Wow. I did um, not remember that for, for, peacefully protesting outside of the Capitol. And so like the, the more they got um, the, the more they got sort of uh, lied to and cheated and trashed and demonized. I think, I think that sort of also broke that philosophical spirit Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and, and some of them at least probably um, well, I know some of them split off in the Trump era and said, well, screw it we tried to play by the rules. Apparently there are no rules. So let's go with this guy because he says he's going to break it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, that was the death. And, you know, I don't know how it could have been done differently because the power of the tea party came from the fact that it wasn't centrally controlled, right? It, w- it was totally bottom up. And you had thousands and thousands of leaders doing the best that they thought they could do. And that's where its power came from, but um, they were susceptible to political charlatans that said the right thing, but didn't do the right thing.
1: Sure. As, as most movements end up being, it, it was, uh, you know, I just remember it cause I was in my twenties at the time and, and it was the most hopeful I had ever been. I, it was the first time in my life that I had, I had seen, you know, a kind of a populist uprising that was in support of limited government. And as a you know second gen libertarian, I was basically born to want that, to desire that and to see, that happening, and then to have Ron Paul come on the scene, and it was like, it was like, man, this might actually happen. Like it, it and then we had this enormous backstep and and just a monstrous backslide into statism. And you know, it's yeah. do where do you think those people went? Do you think they went to the MAGA movement, or or what do you think?
2: Uh, some definitely went to the MAGA movement, but I think a lot of them just decided that um, grassroots change wasn't possible. And sure. they went back, they went back to their lives and that's, mm-hmm. that's where they came from. And, and, you know, there was all this mythology around this, that somehow um, the Koch brothers or right. Fill in the blank. Like somebody was engineering this and, and I've never bought that. And I actually defended a lot of these, these massive uh, anti-Trump protests. Um, I, I think whenever you put hundreds of thousands of people on the mall, that is not something you can buy. It has to, it's, it's fundamentally real. And, and I, I just think, I just think they, they thought that the costs were too high and that, um, you know, by the end of the tea party, everybody hated them. Like the the favorite thing to do when you're like that, if you're at the margin of change, everybody attacks you, Mm. you know, that old, um, probably fake quote from gandhi where he says you know first they ignore you then they laugh at you then they attack you and then then you win um i, I think it's got to morph into into something else i don't think you'll ever get another tea party but but this this counter revolution we're talking about now um that to me in some ways is more interesting because it's going to have um more diverse reach And it's going to teach us to to find common ground with people that we probably disagree with on a lot of stuff, but on, on core civil liberties, like, you know, do you have the right to, to refuse, um, an invasion of your own body? Right. I, or, or do you have a right to speak your mind in the public square? Like these are, these are those core genetically programmed American values that I think we'll rediscover.
1: Yeah. Well, they're going right after our heart. That's for sure. And I think what's interesting too about the Tea Party is, if I recall correctly, uh, that was the first time that it's, you know, the racism uh, label started to be put on people in in mass. You know, it was like, if you're involved in the Tea Party, you're a racist, bigoted, homophobe, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, and as someone who was like an early supporter of the movement, even though I wasn't much of an activist, because I was just getting started in my career at the time, I, I was like, I was like. I don't remember any signs about, you know, hating black people or anything like that. I was like, I was like, they they're like, uh, you know, get rid you no know, no universal health care, limit the size of government, uh, you know, sound money, cut the budget. I was like, these, I don't know how this is happening, but man when you when you reminded me that obama had said that uh you know labeling them terrorists i was like wow this this was the had we paid better attention or had i paid better attention i, I might have noticed that these were going to be the mechanisms for the next you know generation of suppressing uh political dissidents and yeah. damn did they did they start to put steroids in that thing with the trump movement
2: yeah they have a they had they had a playbook that you now see um playing out and and um, you know, I've, I've always been, and I I did a, I did an hour long podcast with Glenn Beck that happened to be the day after January 6th. And, and I, I have a, a, at that point, I had a 100% unsympathetic view of, of what happened because they leaned into the stereotype Hmm. that they were violent. And, you know, you, you can try to explain that away, but there's enough imagery now of, of violence at the Capitol that, and, and they're trying to take it to a next level of, they're talking about insurrection and all this outlandish rhetoric, but, you know, go back to the, you know, the Tea Party is racist was, was one of the key talking points. And they, they tried as, as hard as they could to try to find a sign somewhere in thousands of rallies across the country to do that. Um, and one of the things we had to deal with in a very practical way was we had infiltrators from the left coming in with those signs so we had the police in a decentralized way so we, we actually had a group of people that volunteered to sort of follow the bad guys around and who knows who they were like were they an actual tea party or saying something awful were they leftist infiltrators trying to hijack it but they would surround them with signs that said this guy's not with us and sort of push them out of the community but i i remember this uh this it's kind of fun, and you can still find it on YouTube somewhere. But um, I ended up foolishly going on to debate the head of the NAACP, uh, Ben Jealous, and uh, Don Lemon on oh CNN. <laughs> and here I am, a super white guy <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> debating whether or not the Tea Party is racist. And what this is a fascinating story, actually, because um, I, I was always inspired by by Martin Luther King, both in terms of his his vision of judging people based on the content of their character not the color of their skin, but also his vision of nonviolence. I think, I think violent protest is, is, is destructive and counterproductive. And, and if you're hurting innocent people uh, fundamentally immoral. Sure. And I, I got that from Dr. King, but, but I, I, I naively said to Don Lemon, like, he's like, he asked some sort of question, like, is the tea party racist? And I'm like, um, no, we actually. I, 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 I think we believe in a colorblind society. And he pushes back and he says, "Now, now, that's not right, right? Like, uh, colorblind, really?" And I said, "Well, okay. How, do, how about this? Why don't we judge people based on the content of their character and not the color of their skin?" And I don't think he got the reference. <laughs> I think no way. Yeah, I, I think he was sort of the, the tipping point where intersectionality and and um, critical race theory and all that stuff was happening because today absolutely no one on the far left believes that you should judge someone based on the content of their character it's gone now like now we're absolutely going to judge them based on the color of their skin
1: hey guys on this show we value personal liberty self-reliance and taking action there's a lot going on right now that we can't control, but we can control the actions we take in our daily lives. Thank goodness. Our new liberty-loving sponsor, Gear, creates premium-quality tools and accessories that are easy to carry and multifunctional so you can get more done in your daily life. When you're on the go, you don't always have time to run and get your tools. Levergear's tool Toolcard Pro is a credit card-sized multi-tool that slips into your wallet, or you can use it as a money clip. The tool card has 40 tools, including wrenches, screwdrivers, metric, and inch rulers, pry bar, cord cutter, cat can opener and of course a bottle opener you drunks out there the tool card pro weighs just one ounce and it's tsa compliant so you can take it anywhere it's made in america from heat treated stainless steel so it's super strong and corrosion resistant you'll be confident knowing you have the best card tool on the market this thing is awesome seriously it's the perfect gift for gear junkies even if it's for yourself You really have to check this thing out. Get your tool card and be prepared to get more done at Levergear.com. Again, it's Levergear.com. Listeners of this show can use code LIBERTY to save 20% off their first order. Again, it's Levergear.com.
2: And at the time, I was just like gobsmacked. I'm like, you you don't know who Dr. King is? (laughs) I thought we all agree. I thought everybody in America agreed on this. And and of course, um, you know, fast forward um, 10 years later, we're arguing about this every day about whether or not it's okay to discriminate against someone based on the color of their skin. And I'm like, I I don't know where that came from. I, I have smart friends that tell me where that came from, but I I think it's so un-American.
1: No, it's, it's horrifying. And Trump was one was right about one thing. Don Lemon is the stupidest man in America (laughs) confirmed. Um, so yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, creeping, uh, Totalitarianism with the FBI labeling people terrorists. Obama mentioning it a decade ago, I guess. Um, my my buddy Magnus Panvidia, who is a anarchist activist, um, was approached by at his home uh, the FBI again today, and he's and he's had that uh, quite a few times, as far as I can understand it. Um, what what are they? I mean, I think it's it's fairly obvious what they're doing. They're trying to scare the shit out of people and and suppress any sort of political dissident, um, much less a anarchist movement or a, or a hard, hard libertarian movement. Um, do you think that that prevails? I mean, do you think that, how do you respond to that? Because like, for instance, you said you would like us to, you know, peaceful protest is the way to go. I agree with you. But if you have someone who's peaceful, which as far as I know, even though Magnus is well-armed, he is totally peaceful. Um, yeah. What do you do in that situation if you're being yeah. labeled a terrorist and you're being jeopardized with p- potentially life in prison or something insane? Um, I just don't know how to handle it.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a growingly difficult question to answer, and I would I would actually refer back to the civil rights movement and and Dr. King, and I I wrote about this in several of my books, including the last one, "Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff." How it was that the FBI targeted MLK, Hmm. you know, they, they bugged his house and they got dirt on him and they, they actually tried to convince him to kill himself. Yep. And the way he responded, I think, um, I, I, it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy advice to give people, but because, um, you know, ultimately he gave his life for his beliefs, but he was, he was always nonviolent Um, he was always pushing a back against, uh, you know, the Malcolm X wing of the civil rights movement that wanted to take to the streets with, with their guns. And, and he used public opinion as his weapon against the FBI. Mm -hmm. And that there's a, there's a book, um, uh, that I, that I was, that I always gave to tea partiers. We, we, we did reading groups on this book called a force more powerful and it's 10 case studies. Of non social re- revolutions that that toppled tyranny and includes some obvious examples, uh, you know, Gandhi in India, uh, the Solidarity movement and Lech Walesa, and and the, the American Civil Rights movement. And, and by the way, Lech Walesa's enemy was was far more dangerous than than Herbert Hoover, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that you win these battles is through public opinion and, you know, forget the censorship. Our megaphone is so much bigger than it's ever been before. We don't have to go hat in hand to three TV networks to tell our story. True. Um, And, and I, I think the, the answer always has to be tell your story, um, tell show injustice for what it is and, and engage people in the middle that don't yesterday didn't care about it. Tell them your story and get them to care about the injustices on you. And that, this is why I think January 6 was so awful. I don't think it was a coup; they had no plan. Sure. But they have—they've created this narrative that the Democrats are going to try to run through the through the uh, midterms as long as they can run through it. They're going to create this massive domestic surveillance. Um, they're going to treat every American citizen as a potential terrorist, and and. The, the problem with us creating the counter narrative is that they can point to that, but that's no excuse for not um, assuming that you're always on camera and you're always, your job is always to convince people at the margin that, that liberty and, and, and freedom and the right to speak up in a public square um, that, that we actually, we've earned that that's ours. And that, that's a hard thing to say. Like, I, I get it. Um, and particularly now when, when people are are losing their livelihoods for, for, for defending their basic civil liberties. But I don't know. I just don't have a better answer. Yeah. Well,
1: um, I think as Joe, I, as Joe
2: Biden pointed
1: out, he's got all the tanks. He does. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the reason I've, I've given people that are, are acquiescing to the vaccine mandates such a hard time, um, is because the way I view it is, yes, it's going to make your life much harder in the short term, um, but this may be your last opportunity for peaceful resolution to this, uh, because the alternative is likely uh, you know, social credit scores and all sorts of insanity that That, uh, you know, with the level of technology that we have, with social media, with surveillance, things like that, I'm not sure you can uh, peacefully protest your way out of those types of things. I mean, look at the Chinese people. Like, do we see a peaceful protest likely collapsing them? No, it's going to require an economic collapse before that's able to happen, I think. So uh, anyways, I'm hopeful because, uh, as you said, I think a lot of people are coming together in this moment. And I uh, really appreciate your time, Matt, if you could tell the people where to follow you and we'll get out of here.
2: Yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter, @mkibby And uh, please, if you want to check out the video production work that Free to People does, go to freetopeople.org or YouTube channel. Um, I have a show called Kibbe on Liberty that's, that's co-produced by Blaze TV. And you can check that out there as well. Um, if you can't find me, you're probably not looking.
1: It's an amazing show. I hope everyone will uh, go over and subscribe. Uh, support the people who are putting out the messages that we need to get to people. And Matt's uh, one of the best at doing it. So thank you so much for coming on, Matt. It was a blast. Yeah, this was cool. Come on, uh, do my show sometime. Oh, anytime, brother. Just let me know. If you want to support this show, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Become a supporting member of that page there. It helps to grow the show, it helps to advertise the show, and it helps to eventually get a live in person studio just like TimCast IRL, but for the libertarian sphere. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street.
0: Appreciate y'all.